If we had the, I mean, hey, uh, we're you're catching a conversation in progress. We're talking about the uh, potential need for universal universal basic income. Ubi, the, the Ubi. <laughs> Ub. Is that the Ubi and Ubisoft? Ubisoft? Yeah. No, I don't know. I think it's just is a it weird the, ass. Was that where Hoobastank comes from? Hoobastank. No, Hoobastank is H O O B A. Right? Hoobastank is not Hoobastank. That's not you know, that's not figuring out how to give everyone money. That's figuring out how to turn energy out of burning pure shit. <laughs> no, Ubistank will be Ubistank will be just how you smell in the future, where you're just receiving income, and you're like, well, what do I need to even go outside and shower for? <laughs> well, okay, so that, that's what. So Brian was just talking about how. Um, Basically, like in in a future of like massive automation, we're probably going to need some sort of universal basic income just so that we can um, mi- mitigate the fact that no one's going to have a job. I mean, yeah. and provide which I totally understand, but I, I and I agree with that. I'm certainly not opposed to it on like moral grounds. Like it's wrong to do this. I am worried about what you just joked about, which is that people are going to lose all motivate. Like, yeah, you, it has to be, it has to be some way to support people so that they can still be in society and in a more vulgar way, like still be in the market. I mean like, but I just like buy food, you know, right. and like not have to worry about. Well, I think that's why, I mean, you know, oh, welcome to infinity license radio, everybody. I'm Brian, yeah. Brian Pisano. Yeah, I'm Leonard DeFranco. Um, um we, yeah. uh, yeah, we're going, we're going to improv now. We're going to go to improvise, the, the, the act, the, which is not what you're used to. Here. Yeah, it's usually <laughs> entirely scripted <laughs> by AI. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's just, I have a robot that writes the program and it knows Lenny voice and you know, Brian voice. And, uh, uh, but the, um, the, my argument, I guess, it, it is a problem. I agree with you that we'll have to figure out. I mean, we'll have to give people will have to find purpose or something to do with themselves for sure. Which is why I think entertainment. I mean, that's why. Like, I mean, you're kind of seeing the beginning stages of it now. It's like well, the reason why you and I have time is to just like sit around and talk into a computer, or like go to. I mean, do comedy shows and I improv and comedy are such a big thing now. Or going to like the the. Um, economy around bread and circuses, like the NFL drives such a huge portion of the American economy, which is not necessary as far as on the hierarchy of needs. It's just kind of like a superfluous distraction where we watch people get brain damage for fun. Uh, and but it's like a, it's a huge portion of jobs and driver of the economy. Um, and I would recommend people read. I mean, I got these ideas. It was a, bu- a book that was published in the late '90s, I think. The conscience of a liberal. No, the conscience. <laughs> Yes, the conscience. The housing of- bubble is not possible. <laughs> I'm Paul Krugman. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. Um, he's just oh, Paul Krugman. It's just like they, I really kind of do think they have replaced Paul Krugman with an artificially artificial intelligent like thing. That's Him like, and Coldplay are just software at this yeah. point. <laughs> just like recycling the same notes. Uh, but Ray Kurzweil's um, uh, "Life in the Age of Spiritual Machines." Um, and it was written in 1999, but predict, predicts a lot of, like, the oncoming, like, or in the next uh, 10 to 20, so that's 20 years ago almost now, uh, a lot of the oncoming things that would happen around, like, computer efficiency, uh, you know, kind of hitting the Moore's accelerating curve, of, like, our computers become faster and faster. Essentially, what the owners of capital or the owners of machines will acceleratingly become people that are, like, yeah. so the Googles and the Amazons of the world and all that stuff will increasingly become the people that at the very top slice of society and then there will be just a growing underclass well, of that, people. That, uh, is, like, that is predictable because that's the way that every industrial revolution happens. Does he predict that to reverse at some point? Uh, he said, well, it's like there was, I mean, I don't really remember. I read this book. Uh, I think he Also, Ray Kurzweil is fucking nuts. He, he, yeah, he, he, he like, well, no, I mean, he might, I'm not going to discredit his book. Um, 
Like, well, he's, I, a big, I, he's a big singularity guy. He's a singularity guy, which I think that people are getting a little savvier on, and like yeah. are are like I like I for sure have increasingly become kind of cynical that like that's possible. Yeah, uh, that that's the way that intelligence or humans work. But yeah. also, um, yeah, he like he wants to. Um, his goal is like infinite life. Yeah. So that he can, and I don't know. I read one article. Maybe it was a, a smear piece, but it was basically like kind of insinuating that the reason he wanted to do that was to revive his dad, who he was, like, obsessed with and still has his, like, oh, maybe. I don't fossils know. or some shit. I don't know. Um, it's possible. I, I, this book was an interesting thought piece written in the late <laughs> 90s. Cloning your dad. Yeah, cloning your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would do it, like, while he's still alive and give it as your like, Father's Day present. <laughs> <laughs> I made you a devil. Yeah. Uh, I gotta check to make sure the dog's not. I feel like whenever it's quiet in there, I get worried that this guy's motherfucker. He's just, oh, he's just eating one pillow. He's only eating one pillow. Um, I will say that uh, if there's a reason I'm talking into a computer, it's because I plan on fucking this computer. And I, need, <laughs> I need to butter it up first. Uh, and, yeah, I agree that, uh, like, you know, industrialization was the reason that we could start to enjoy, you know, pro- organized sports and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, professional sports. But, but, all of the, but think, about, think about that, though. I mean, all of those... Part of the reason why sports is compelling to us is because there are identifiers associated with it, whether it's geographical or, like, you know, like, West Ham United started off as some, like, iron factory, and that's, you know, and that, yeah. the hammers, and, like, we, you know, all, all of those those um, started off as um, the fucking Packers, you know, they like, worked for, like, a Yeah, they were uh, yeah. packing. Yeah, they're packing. Yeah, they're yeah. packing. And yeah. so, I mean... And a company, I think they're owned by their own business. They're right. Are they no, they're still owned by. The, well, they're owned by the, they're town. the people. Yeah, well, they're owned by the town. Yeah, yeah. Well, who bought shares in the or who? Yeah, but okay. but it's. I, I think it's more municipal than it is like specifically the. It's not, for example, the Lions, the Detroit Lions, are owned by the Ford family, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a much closer, um, like connection between the actual industry that sustains the town and. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like, my, my point is, like, that that provide, provided a, a galvanizing, unifying identifier for people. If you give – if you just give people the resources they need to live, I mean, ideally, everyone will just start living a life of pure leisure and, like, will have more commitment to, like, the arts and philosophy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But – well, I guess the better way to say it is that ideally you'd, you'd hope that people would form different new identifiers that we don't have yet. Yeah. But it would be based on even more superficial things. Maybe that's the best we can hope for. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm totally down to like it, – it is, it is funny. Like people complain about jobs. You know, I was unemployed last summer and right. like you realize how great not having to go to work is. Yeah. Go to work sucks. Yeah. Having a job sucks. It, yeah. It's like – well, the thing is that I think I would – I think we could just figure out a way. I think we should reorganize the economy to – uh, to to like I don't understand why people are so obsessed with full employment and also just like well when people got to work more kind of like what we're talking about people working on vacation and all that stuff it's like what are we accelerating towards maybe people should work less like if we have these machines that make our lives so much more convenient we can do uh, like pack so much extra labor into shorter amounts of time uh, then you know think about like think about now, in the relatively recent, I mean, my job is a is a product of just a completely new invention that hadn't existed in the past hundred years. Certainly, um, I, I, I do ever. content marketing. Yeah, exactly. That's like, exactly. All it didn't exist six years ago. Yeah, and then, and at the same time, think about all the things that you do now. That or like think like in the nineteen, if Don Draper in Mad Men wanted to send a message to. Uh, you know, whatever the other guy's name is, <laughs> and, uh, the, Roger Sterling, Silver Fox. yeah, Roger Sterling, and the other office, 
it would at least take five minutes to get there because he'd have to type out something or like go see him or like or have his secretary bring him bring him a note or something. <laughs> Wanna but, try crack? Yeah, exactly. And now all you, you do is just fire off like a Slack message or an email or whatever it is that your office uses to communicate and it does it instantaneously. You know, I, I don't know. It's, 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 I mean, the, the idea that, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't get that point entirely. Like, um, things have definitely gotten more efficient. I think that like the idea of like, what are we accelerating towards? What's the point of like, Mm -hmm. of fetishizing work to this degree? Right. Um, you know, I like kind of like that idea. And we, we did talk about it when we were talking about the article that was like lamenting the fact that, uh, people are working more on vacation and stuff like that. And, and I, I, can't help but think that there is an inherent productivity involved in that. And I think that part of it is because maybe this is old fashioned to me, but I still associate productivity with human output and increasingly we're decoupling that. Yeah. So if you want to get something done, you know, you need this sort of what we can, what, what we can asperse as the Protestant work ethic. Right. But you know, I went to school with kids that like were not from this country and they were, they work like at least twice as hard as all of the American born kids. Yeah. And they got better grades and they got better jobs. And, and I sort of like inherently, and as someone who was very mediocre in that regard, right. I came to really appreciate the like inherent purpose that is reflected by that level of work uh, or that level of effort being exerted. And if it, if we are going to enter a future where like we're really decoupling the, the magnitude of output or even the quality of output uh-huh. from the amount of work you put into it, then fine. I'm willing to totally change my framework and say, like, we can do good stuff. We can, we can like, solve new problems and stuff like that by putting less work into it. But if you want to live in a society with all the emoluments that we, we currently have of, like, wealth and stuff, which I do want to live in that, you right. know, I want to be able to fly to Denver right now if I, like, feel like it because right, right, I right. have a job that can afford it. You need to you need to be culturally down with the idea that like we're going to have to be productive somehow. I don't like the idea of wage slavery necessarily, but I sort of see it as a necessary evil towards that. If it's going to yeah, so I I, I don't know. Maybe, no, I, I, think- I don't I don't I don't dis- disparage the idea of like what are we going towards? I think it's noble that we're trying to basically that we that we societally recognize uh, like what we get with what we put in. I think it, well that's the thing though is that I think though it already has. I think that's the problem is that I think in a lot of forms of work, people have seen the inputs decoupled from the output like that. I, you know, certainly I guess in your case where you see people that are, you know, from a different country and have a different expectation of themselves and a different expectation of like what they are deserve in society and what they're working towards, you know, that might give them a certain motivation to at least do something. And so maybe it has something to do with expectation and intent as opposed to maybe, and maybe we've just been coddled and made soft by our, our, uh, (laughs) secular Western ways. Um, but at at the same time, I think that don't blame secularism. No, no, our, our, I'm just being, at least we don't think we're entitled to fucking heaven anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think I am though. <laughs> I mean, if anybody, is. if anybody is, I would I already live in heaven on earth, Park Slope, um, and so the. I, but I do think there's a lot of work where you just see people that aren't working that hard, and they get. I think people see people that work not that hard and get the get a big greater outcome as opposed to somebody who hustles really hard and doesn't and gets nothing in return. Yeah. And I totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I, I think that one of the big problems that we we as a culture have had with um well in general is that 
there's been the rise of this sort of sinecure class, um, which is pretty fundamentally parasitic on society. Yeah. All they've done is put themselves in the flow of money, yeah. which is getting created. I mean, we've talked about all these concepts already, but like money is being created really fast. And so they get to put themselves, you know, like finance people, right. like all they're doing is just kind of harvesting this teat that is now like programmed to just keep going up. Right. It's a gross ass visual. So like, <laughs> the money teat? The money teat. Well, just a teat that like can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you think of like, we still culturally, and I kind of agree with this, we don't have the same sort of resentment against against sources of wealth that seem to have earned it more uh, that we do towards the ones that haven't earned it. So I'm totally in favor of like diminishing like the impact of the financial sector, reducing it so that it like really does just – I mean the purpose of the financial sector is to spread risk around to make yeah. – to, to facilitate transactions. Like there is a social benefit to it um, and I'm down to, to kind of hew more towards that. But if you think about the fact that like – Everyone, and this is actually everyone. This is a this is a very relevant topic. A few years ago, you remember there was a uh, on TV some guy that had like a ten thousand dollar watch on um, was talking about how um, uh, there's like a new like the, he was comparing rich people to Jews in the, in you know the, in the um, Third Reich yeah. and saying that uh, you know our culture now no longer like can tolerate the wealthy and stuff like that. Be some finance asshole who contributes nothing to, right. to society. Yeah. We don't he feel that. paper around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and, and they're savvy enough to understand how, how these increasingly opaque systems yeah. work. I mean, they literally have mark, access to markets that people don't even have right. access to. So, so I, I totally agree with the, the idea that that's bullshit and, and, and that is not coupled already with output. But if you look at like Apple is the world's largest company by market share mm-hmm. – and people generally don't have the same antipathy towards it that we do towards that guy, you know, the yeah. financier. And I think the reason is because it makes something that is actually a good product that, you know, we understand. We have, we can get our heads around it. Right. We understand why they have so much money. Right. The causality is direct. And so I kind of feel I, – maybe I can't help but feeling similar to that. Like I understand why uh, – I think, I think it's somewhat proper that like – if you have a lot of money and you are doing – I can see what, what you're contributing to society to earn it. Um, that's a good thing. And the idea of um, eliminating that output by eliminating the input of your time and stuff like that in, in terms of giving people like money just to live, uh, it seems like it's really fraught with like you're going to lose a lot of purpose and you're just going to have to replace it with something else. Right. Maybe that's the ultimate point. I mean, that's... I'm in favor of it if you replace it with something else. Right, that's what... I mean, but that's often why you see... I mean, money... Money is not the ultimate source of utility and happiness because it's like you... I mean, there's plenty of stories of those guys who are just have... You know, who descend into kind of, you know, uh, ma- madness or depression or like, you know, they, they still have the hu- same human and philosophical problems that a poor person or a med- middle-class person or anyone of any other material circumstance has. So the direct, but maybe they just have a sweet ass house in the Hamptons or something like that. Or they come from money too. Or, or they come I mean, from that's the ultimate, the ultimate no output way right. to get money. Right. I mean, and which many of the people that have been in charge of this country, uh, the the Roosevelt dynasty, and the you know the people that are, or the you know John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy's father, and the the George Bush, George W. Bush certainly was a benefactor. You know who was a good version of that? The Adamses. Oh yeah, uh, uh, but they were like. They weren't 
I don't think the Adams were were they really gentry kind of upper class people. I mean, I know there were uh, John John Adams was. I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think that they were. Um, I heard something cool about them recently. I think they were the first. The, the HBO documentary started when he was already successful. So that's <laughs> a, and doc, right. by documentary, I mean Paul Giamatti series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Outside, right? yeah. All right. Instead of, instead of talking about uh, a president that we we know little about, uh, let's talk about the uprising that we wouldn't witnessed in Bastille Day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, what, so what was your thought on that? Yeah. Um, so we went to the Jacobin event uh, downtown Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue. I think it was at the Intermedium Theory Theater. The Intermedium in, Theory. Intermedium. Is that the name of our, uh, our Inter- podcast? We should call it Intermedium Theory. Uh, I, I forget the name of the theater. Someplace in downtown uh, Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue. Uh, but Jacobin held an event uh, hosted by Jacobin, and the main performance or act was the boys from the Chapo Trap House. Uh, it was a cool event, I thought. Uh, not a lot of air conditioning, so it wasn't cool in the literal sense. Socialists can't organize shit. Yeah, that's the, that was the thing. They couldn't. They fucking had one keg of beer. One keg of beer beforehand. That was so. The line, luckily, Lenny and I were were savvy enough to a get on the line early, and then b Lenny realized what was going on and went outside and ran and got up. Two bottles of rum. <laughs> I smuggled in two bottles of rum, and everyone drank it. And it was, it was you basically it, half of it would evaporate by the time it got to your face because it was right. that much alcohol. But uh, yeah. it did the job. It got the job done. We didn't have to get up. Uh, we weren't uh, uh, going to the bar, which was had a line snaking around the corner all the time. I'm pretty sure that they had to cut off people coming in, which is another good thing that we got there early. So good call to Lenny on that. Um, but yeah. I was expecting a uh, 90s dance party at the end of it, but I realized quickly that uh, this uniform crowd of, as we've called it before, uh, just what we would look like with different facial hair. <laughs> different uh, facial hair. It's was like, way too nerdy to be dancing in a cool 90s house. Yeah. And we, R&B or whatever. We, and we've got, when you've got, uh, you know, an 80 to 20 guy to socialist guy to girl ratio, the likelihood of a dance party happening afterwards is, uh, is not good. It's not it's not a formula for a successful dance party. But we had fun. We saw a lot of people. I saw a couple of people I knew. I did too. I thought I you know, Will Medicker had a had a line in there where he he was uh defending some you know, quote of his that got taken out of context and it was very invigorating to hear um about That was the uh, highlight of the show, I think. Yeah, it was, that was it the was. most interesting part of the show. Yeah. 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 It, it, the the other interesting part was seeing um uh, I was watching Matt Crispin talk. I was like, I know what this guy's going to look like when he's like an old professor, which will be exactly the same thing. He's oh, yeah. gesticulating with his like, you know. Just slightly grayer hair. He's teaching at some like small college in like the northern Midwest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like some small private liberal, co- really liberal hippy dippy <laughs> college in like rural Minnesota somewhere or something like that. Or <laughs> I also I also had um, some sort of, I don't want to say doubts, but I it kind of clarified how political Chapo's fan base is. Like, I'm a Chapo fan. Like, I, I like, if you if I met someone and they told me they were a Chapo fan, I'd be like, oh, you're like, cool. we can hang, you know, like, yeah. that's cool. I don't agree with everything they say. Um, I think a little bit's, like, sort of rose-tinted, but, um, or... <laughs> rose-tinted, which is, rose is, which is the symbol of the DSA. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> yeah, know that. Yeah, it's like the rose is like the Democratic Socialist of America <laughs> symbol is the rose, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, that's, I, I knew that subconsciously and yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, like, uh, I don't know, it, it's cool to see, um, something that fuses, like, like, a genuine popular, I don't want to say, 
like revolt against the establishment, but certainly a, a contribution to it. Um, I also like the fact that it was that the 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 vector that that podcast takes is very entertainment based and mm-hmm. satirical, which are modes that speak to me. So. Yeah, I don't know. It was cool to see in person. Um, I'm a fan. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed. It. So that, so I appreciated him responding to that because that the way he was talking about the moment in the show where he said uh, they bend a knee to us, meaning he was referring to the center wing of I guess you'd call the progressive or neoliberal movement or whatever you want to call it. I think neoliberal refers to like the fact that like Macron is an investment so, banker was also yeah, the, the liberal candidate. So, yeah, liberal. essentially neoliberal. I think this neoliberal candidate, you would say, in the modern era, is somebody who values the traditional modes of capitalism, but also values like kind of progressive, maybe social ideas. I think it's the idea that yeah, yeah. I, it'd be interesting to try to define. I would I would probably stab that neoliberal means more like you don't you you yeah I like the idea you value the 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 liberalism of capitalism, but you want it to be states proctored. You also want to control the state. Right. And then and then use it to accrue like redound to your own benefit basically yeah. like the, the benefit of your class. But I think also what was important in that, and I think it was also in the context of single payer healthcare, which is what I think the Chapo Trap House guys have been talking about, and is the policy point that they're strongest on. They've had strong guests on it, um, and they that is saying to, and it was right in the midst of the uh, AHCA bill getting put forward and like essentially a monstrous bill that was going to destroy Medicaid and destroy like basically healthcare and rational care for uh, poor people in this country. Um, And they're saying, listen, you dummies in the, like you, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, we tried it your way. We, we, you kept telling us you can't have it. You can't have single parents. It's unrealistic. It's unreasonable. And now we've just been pushed to a point where you're, it's like no, it's like well, we tried it your way, and you lost, and now Donald Trump is president. So, so we tried it your way. You guys fumbled consistently on the one yard line. Nobody likes that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they appeal to no one. Yeah, like you consistently chose to pass uh, on the one yard line as opposed to just handing the ball off to the beast mode, who's going to like yeah. power into the end zone and just like shut the fuck up. You didn't do it right, and you you lost. You told us you you had a you spent a lot of money on telling us we were woke bays and <laughs> and uh, millions of dollars in in stupid advertising campaigns on the internet, and then now our material circumstance is not better. It's definitely worse so we're not we don't have to listen to you anymore so like the worst case scenario happened and you guys messed it up so you know, like, they, I, have, like, they have to come back to us and we have to get back on the page of single-payer health care is the only way forward for uh a re- like as a policy that is that could be uh administered and be just and uh, and a socially progressive movement in america i think uh, um, that's, that's I, I wonder. There, there, Chapo is part of this whole movement. We were talking about this before. Like, there's like, you know, Current Affairs is like this magazine that um, that uh, is. It, it, a lot of these things are parcel of the same movement, and it's a lot of its disaffectedness with the mainstream Democrats. And part of me wonders if there. A lot of this is happening, and maybe it just seems to us like it's very um, reactive in a – not reactive in a reactionary sense, but reactive in a like a desperate, like we're clinging like – we, we demand to be heard type, right. type way. Yeah. 
and part of that is just because the the leadership of the Democratic Party has been so hidebound. Like Nancy Pelosi is old as shit. She's gonna fo- she is fossilized in that. Yeah. She's like the fucking Jopa of the Democrats. Yeah, you know? yeah. She's, she's gonna just, be there. Yeah. Until, until we find out who was molesting who. <laughs> <laughs> Please have been molesting someone. Yeah. I, I want to put some. If there's anyone else, Dennis Hastert molested <laughs> that we don't know about. Please just say Nancy Pelosi did it so we can get rid of her. Yeah. Uh, Schumer too. While you're at it. Yeah. Uh, one of the funniest things about that's happened this week. Uh, is that um, in like the, possibly the most ironic health incident ever? John McCain can't. Who was one of the critical votes on this the Better Care Reconciliation Act, the most inspiringly titled piece of bullshit? This is what the Republicans are trying to pass, just so that they have absolutely anything they can say that was behind their seven years of let's black. Kill the black guys. <laughs> president, the president's black. <laughs> we hate it. We hate the black guys. We hate the black guys, Bill. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it's being facetious because there's a lot of problems with Obamacare, but it really, like, they, they turn, like, you think that they would have had any goddamn idea what they were going to do if they actually could have had the chance to repeal Obamacare. Today, like, Mitch McConnell um, was, uh, was, was, so basically, as of now, as I was recording, the, the bill is dead. Like, yeah. the, the bill is dead, and then they were going to. Collins and a bunch of other uh, uh, Republicans. Just turned making it impossible to, or did you said they were not going to vote? Um, they said they weren't going to vote on it, and yeah. it wasn't just them. It wasn't just Susan Collins, and there's there's a few senators that defected. Uh, fucking Mike Lee, who was like the funny thing about Mike Lee uh, from Utah is that he was he's basically the only friend that Ted Cruz has in the Senate. And he's the only. Was it you that told me that? Ted, Ted Cruz's only friend. I just like. Oh, I guess I'm happy. Someone he's he possibly even more uncharming than yeah. Ted Cruz. Oh, that's oh my god. He kind of kills. He vivisects bigger squirrels in the dark by himself. Uh, um, but I, I almost mean, threw him. <laughs> yeah, go back to the endless flowing teat idea uh, to get rid of the uh, uh, the Ted Cruz. Just imagine Ted Cruz eating. <laughs> Seamus, get in here and uh, poop or something. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Ted Cruz added this amendment to the to the bill to try to make it palatable. And um, what was funny is, and this is why Ted Cruz is a piece of shit, by the way. Like, even in terms, aside from the fact that, like, he's got this. It's not soaring oratory. Like Obama had soaring oratory. It's really grandiose oratory that Ted Cruz has, but it's like. I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's like the your, the talk that your dentist has. It's like yeah. it's very yeah. like painful. He, he does this look really, like a terrible dentist. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like a bad dentist. Ted Cruz looks like a bad dentist. Yeah, but he what he did even politically he's he's a piece of shit because yeah. he and Mike Lee kind of crap who come from sort of different perspectives on on this issue. Ted Cruz came up with an amendment that there was going to get added to this and like uh, to this piece of shit bill that that basically did nothing that was politically unpopular on every front. And what he did was like, okay, here's a way that we can keep the Obamacare, um, uh, uh, basically the framework in place, and and um, like it was going to be that if you can if you can prove that you're selling um, an Obamacare compliant plan on the marketplace, you can then are allowed to sell non-compliant ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there was going to be a lot of problems with this because people were only going to buy the non-compliant ones, and, and only sick people were going to buy the ones that were compliant, right. which of course means they had more coverage and stuff like that, right? Uh, but uh, this was this was seen in the totally policy bereft uh, morass of the Republican Party as like some sort of life preserver that was going to save this and not kill as many people. Yeah, uh, Mike Lee kind of went in on this with Ted Cruz, but as soon as Ted Cruz got enough people reluctantly signed out of this idea, this amendment, he then went around and started claiming it for himself, basically, and kind of 
you know, spurned Mike Lee. And Mike Lee was like, well, you know, maybe I'm not so much for it anymore. Maybe I don't like this at all. <laughs> and so he went from being someone who, like, if Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell or anybody had the slightest bit of, like, like human yeah. to human, like, empathy, yeah. uh, like, they would be able to, to corral him in and make let him share in this sort of, like, Compromise victory, but instead they spurned him because Ted Cruz is planning on running for president and wants to get all the glory for himself. And so what happens? Mike Lee actually ends up going completely the other way and ends up being the, the basically the, the Republican who just completely killed the chance of the bill passing <laughs> at all, which is the most supreme irony. I, I hope that when they're all crying tonight, with masturbating with their tears, they, <laughs> they cry over the, over the irony of it. Um, well, that's like, yeah, I, 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 think, I think this is what is is. Uh, illustrative of the point that these people are just like they're just sociopathic monsters that have no they're just they're just like petty petty man children that, that are just like uh, we were, we're going to stick to my ideology about what I think the constitution means and and they're not sticking and, to any goddamn ideology right, this thing and it, it, they frame it in what they think is an ideology but they're just they're just very anti and actually you know what's been funny to watch is that the most ideological one has been Rand Paul because he's yeah. you know Ron Paul never did anything, basically. He's not only a Bernie Sanders. Like, he's, he set himself up. He built a brand for himself as this pure ideologue, and he could never be corrupted by anything. And Dr. Spin- no. Dr. No, exactly. Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, there's a Jonah Goldberg wrote an article about the, the Rand Paul thing recently, which was like, it cited the fact that apparently Ron Paul used to, um, this is the second podcast we're talking about Ron Paul, by the way. But this is a Ron Paul podcast. This is a Ron Paul revolution. <laughs> revolution. One day we got to talk about the one of the funniest stories, one of my favorite stories ever, which is about Ron Paul suing to get ronpaul.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they, they were like, he, they, he took the case of the UN to get... Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Which is the same thing as what you've argued about at real Donald Trump, too, which is kind of a similar... Like, well, that, at real Donald Trump is that, like... Yeah, well, it, 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 that's more of he's a he's an idiot. Ron Paul is that they're they're hypocrites. Real Donald Trump, the case was that uh, I have good evidence that like the, the that at Donald Trump was a totally saleable property, and uh, he just never figured out how to like make the deal. Um, <laughs> but he's the art of the deal. Actually, let's talk about it now. So I never yeah. have to talk about it again. Yeah. The real Donald Trump. So the question is like you know who what is at Donald Trump, and the answer is it's a it's a. Um, handle that has never tweeted. It has no profile picture. It's been owned for you know since the early days of Twitter, and I think that the reason for that, and really it's my a, it's conspiracy theory, it's an egg. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that Twitter doesn't give um, you cannot resell um, something. I forget exactly what it Basically, if you're impersonating someone and they can claim that it's actually you, that's one of the few cases in which the person can claim it back. So if this person had ever tweeted, Donald Trump could theoretically go to Twitter and say, that at Donald Trump is impersonating me, you know, because, but right. if they, but if they've never done anything with the property, then he can't make that claim because right. they haven't done anything. So they're not impersonating him. Right. So therefore Twitter was going to be less likely to hand it over. The point is all of this seems beyond the wherewithal of Donald Trump who has gotten real. I think he's bought it now. Actually, he bought at Donald Trump and just redirects to real Donald Trump. Oh, really? Now that he's the goddamn fucking president, <laughs> that's what it took for him to get his actual handle. Man, I remember when Zoe Deschanel pulled this off. She like somehow got her handle. She contacted whoever it was. She probably paid some sort of you know yeah. nominal fee to a fan or whatever, some yeah. you know Siberian guy. Yeah, yeah, and it was done. Donald Trump sells himself on this deal maker, and he can't even pull that off. Um, no, anyway, to, to the Rand Paul thing. Um, he was opposing this. He was like going on cable news outlets and talking about he, he would never vote for this 
you know, this, this current health bill. And um, what's funny is that he was um, saying uh, that, uh, like, they needed – he wanted to just a straight repeal. But earlier in the year uh, – maybe it was a different year – he was saying, like, he wants to just straight repeal. He, he, he doesn't want to repeal without replacing, you know? Right. He's, he's going back and forth, and he's just... Not the pure of, ideologue that his father was. <laughs> no, but his... I mean, he, he can claim to be an ideologue if he's like, nothing is too... Nothing is constitutional enough for me. Right. And it's... I don't know. It, they're yeah. all... They're all... Yeah, they're all terrible. Well, I think it's the, the Rand Paul... I don't know. Do you think that might actually be Rand Paul actually playing real politics and knowing that Medicaid... I think Medicaid in Kentucky... I, I'm one out of five Kentuckians is, is on, on Medicaid. Medicaid. And I think it's one of the highest proportions in the in the country that... Uh, and, and they're also in the midst of, like, a massive public health crisis when it comes to opioid addiction and, uh, like... And I think they've, they've maybe got a lot of... Uh, just a lot of diseases that have been related <laughs> Create to... a new... Yeah, <laughs> it's a new cesspool down there. It, um, it, although I've heard Louisville is very nice. Yeah, I've heard that too. I mean, I don't know. Like, they also have a lot of medic, like Obamacare enrollment. They like the, the Kynect, yeah. which is a pretty... It really makes me think of uh, Lube. K-Y-Nect. <laughs> um, yeah, the K-Y-Nect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna lubricate your Medicaid access. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Rand, Rand Paul's Rand Paul's a fucking ghoul. What What also is funny is that um, you know at first it would seem like wow this is actually a moment of, of actual integrity for the Republicans because this was a objectively bad policy. I mean this was not like debated in any quarters. This is a bad policy. It, yeah. was, it was arrived at in a bad way. Um, and they killed it, and so like bad policy is supposed to die, and they had the all they held all the cards in their hands, and props to the fucking four Republicans for killing it, and then also proceeding to not want to just straight repeal Obamacare, except for the fact that you remember that like the heroes of the story, like Lisa Murkowski and like Sherry, what the hell's her name, Sherry Shelley Moore Capito and mm-hmm. Mike Lee, they all did vote in 2015 to just straight up repeal Obamacare, knowing that it was a completely meaningless vote. Right, right. They're, you know, they're they're not. They're playing politics now. Like, for example, Brian Heller in Nevada is a senator who basically can't – or what the hell is his name? Whatever Heller. Um, can't vote for this because it is remarkable. Every governor hates it. Case of case. Because oh, yeah. they know how hard it is to, if they have to start covering the shortfalls in Medicaid. Oh, yeah. And they got they got to pull from other services that will be immediately visible to everybody in the state, no matter like what government. So it means that you have less police or less uh, firefighters or whatever other public service that is like less state police. And there's a limit to how much you can do that. So you're just going to have people just dying, just yeah. dying because they don't have access to healthcare. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it is. It is pol- I mean, it's. I don't think it's. There's any integrity to ascribe to. In other words, it's, it is politics, and to some degree, the system worked. Um, except for the fact that we still have the piece of shit Obamacare in place that now well, needs to get the fixed. Thing is, the, well, back to that original point, though, which is Obamacare is the result of – and what Will Maneker was trying to say. It, Obamacare originally had a uh, single-payer uh, – It was a public option. A public option. Or it was just a single-payer. A public option, which would have essentially led everybody to – a single pair. It yeah. would have. It would have buried a lot. The, the insurance lobby got to a lot of important people and said, "Hey, uh, we. This would maybe kill our business." It's like, well, maybe your business shouldn't exist. <laughs> maybe yeah, your business, business is a fucking abomination. Yeah, yeah. It's like if Dolly, the Dolly, the, the sheep lobby is like, 
We cannot. This is not genetically viable. It's like yeah. us because it's again, it's an aberration against God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, it can't be a business that sells something that if someone buys it, you uses it, you fucking lose money. Right. Like, that, that's called a business that, that's right. no problem. That's yeah, and it's you know it just has to do with the original sin of American healthcare, which has to do with uh, that. That we have insurance companies doing it and that it was a, basically a weird way that we were, a, were able to supplement wages in World War II when there was an, a wage freeze. And, and that's what it goes back to. A lot of people don't know that. And it's like a lot of people don't, know, don't realize that Medicaid or Medicare is a government program. That's why the famous lady going, keep your government hands off my Medicaid. Uh, and so people are just kind of ignorant. Government healthcare just has a bad brand. Doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Uh, for people, it does a lot of good things, and Medicaid does a lot of great things. I can attest to that, um, not as a Medicaid patient, but as a person who works on it. Um, and and then, uh, I guess just to put a button on that is that the point is that you know, so the Obamacare people were like, all right, we'll concede on this because we can show them that like, hey, we are we have this magnanimity, magna or magnanimous, magnanimous people, politicians who will concede and will meet in the center and be like, okay, like we'll, we'll let the insurance lobby essentially run the country and not and kill the public option. And then essentially the insurance companies just adjusted their business model after the certain pools of money ran out and are like, oh yeah, okay, so now uh, we will still charge you an arm and a leg. For like you have, we'll still cover you. We'll still like we won't turn you away, but <laughs> will you? It costs you a billion dollars still, and your premiums are now you know half of your, your yeah, and totally t- totally inaccessible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Let's give ahead to because um, I don't want to go too long today. Yeah, yeah. We, we've had some real long um, healthcare. I told you, dude. One I, of the uh, one of the. Um, Notifications on your computer says archery tournament. Oh yeah, so that was actually so that we're going next week though. But if you want to go, so we can't do this next Tuesday. Yeah, my main point was that I'm pissed off that I'm not invited to your archery tournament. No, you are. Well, I can't. We'll explain it off the cast. But okay. actually, it would have been. But it was. I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain later. Call it cast. Go off the cast. That's off cast. <laughs> off Arch- episode. Off episode. Archery tournament. That's next week's episode. <laughs> next week's episode. <laughs> what is the? What is the truly douchey way to say it? Podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, so I want to talk about uh, Russia uh, because uh, it is a cold country, generally. Duh. The um, someone someone wrote it, it was it was some like Republican spook, but they they said something about how um, Russia is basically like the new like a, a new birtherism. Mm-hmm. And I I read it and I didn't hate it. Um, I think that there's uh, a lot of parallels. And the thing that made me realize, or the, the 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 association that it made me remember, was that when the during the election, when Hillary Clinton's health issues were um, a topic of real controversy, because like it was like right. not controversy, but speculation, like how is she gonna die? I mean, is she like not able to support herself? Right, right. like after like the nine eleven memorial thing, and yeah, exactly, yeah. she collapsed on the way to the to the car. Um, and I was like, I saw that as like, this is the new birtherism because the entire election, all the, the media coverage was about her health, fundamentally not about policy. It's about the candidate and the candidate's right. unfitness to serve. Right. And that is what birtherism was about. It was racist in origin. I mean, if you wanted to find a racist way to discredit Donald Trump, you could, if you hated whatever, but, um, fundamentally it's, it's like, we're Say it. Hated people from Queens. <laughs> I just, I, I'm a Queensist. <laughs> I hate Kevin James. I hate, uh, I assume Christopher Walken is from Queens. I don't know. Chris Rock is from, from Queens. Chris, I hate him. <laughs> Much more of a Chris Tucker fan who's not from Queens, I don't think. Yeah. 
But um, that was racist. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, discrediting the person, at, you know, and, and like their fitness to be in the office um, is uh, is a cheater's way out. And so Russia, the problem is that it's and it's really basic. It's just that Russia's a fucking soap opera. It's there so that the media still has something to cover. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Like, do you think that that there is any any parallel between Russia and, and birtherism? Maybe um maybe the birtherism uh but I just I think the parallel the the idea with Russia is that I think that in many ways it is a Lenny just went into the other room to go attend to my dog not making noise that's why I can't think straight uh, this is. Do you not talk? I'm I can't. Talking. I can't talk. I have to have another person. I can't. Right. I can't talk to just the computer. Like I, I haven't gotten to that level of. And my dog Seamus, all six months old of him, is deciding to ruin this episode of the cast. We can edit this out. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So the the idea. Wait, no, wait, wait. You know what we should do is pause and then. No, 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 not pause. Oh, just like pause. soft, like. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So do you? So all right here. So Brian, do, do you? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that like there's a parallel between Russia, the Russian controversy and birtherism and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's definitely different in nature, whereas like the, I mean, it's, it's rooted in, as opposed to racism, it's rooted in a little bit of a nationalist hot button kind of thing where it's like, well, Russia is kind of a natural enemy and like an oligarchic autocratic state that we can identify as like, hey, has in the past been a enemy of America. It's currently um, a lot of them. I mean, in the past, or, and has been a historical, you know what Yeah, I mean? it's definitely a historical boogeyman. Yeah, a historical boogeyman, like, it's always, it, it has a place in the American, um, uh, in the American mind, and, uh, that, about, that, hey, Russia is bad, uh, even, um, but, uh, yeah, I think it, maybe as a, as a birtherism, I don't know, it's like, because the birtherism was a whole other thing where it was just like, that was true fantasy, uh, and the Russia thing isn't fantasy, it seems like there's certainly... There seems like there was certainly, like, I think just out of complete incompetence, there was just Donald J. Trump Jr. and Donald Trump were just kind of like, hey, look, I'll take whatever, you know, hack whoever, go for it. Like, I don't care. Like, just send John Podesta links to, to like, the latest risotto recipe. Yeah. Uh, or, and, and a link to whatever stupid thing that you think is, uh, that he'll click on and, and will give us access to his emails. Um, and I think that's I think that's one element to it where it's just kind of like it's real. It actually it actually happened. Actually happened yeah. Whereas the uh, birtherism thing was just like um, the the birtherism thing was just kind of an issue. All right, Seamus, yeah, I got rid of your toy. Um, the 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 birtherism thing was, was that and it was just made up and it was like a kind of became a hilarious point of a joke. You know, Donald Trump led it. Um, so that's kind of funny, or he was, he was definitely, certainly a... I just want to eat the poison. <laughs> it's not poison, it's just a stupid trap. Oh. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> um. <laughs> My dumb ass talk. <sighs> okay. Uh, whereas most of the Russia, the Russia thing, I think, is... Really just, it is a soap opera. It is something that people can wrap their minds around where they're just kind of like they're escaping into this universe where they're like, oh yeah, Russia, the boogeyman has, that has been around for forever. They're the ones who ruin our life. That's the only way we can explain how Donald Trump became president. That, and, and like, so in the narrative, in the brain narrative that is the American people, they're like, okay, this, 
this can kind of make sense to us, and this is how we're going to make and sense. That it, uh, the, I, I think that this this also goes to the idea of like what exactly is the alt left or whatever the fuck they're actually called. Yeah. What is that sort of in in um, compare? Uh, what is that in contrast to? And I think that one answer is like the mainstream. Uh, liberal, the media is mostly mainstream liberal. I right. mean, like I can attest to that. Yeah, and the the narrative that they they don't understand how this happened, except for unless there was like this nefarious explanation, right? Um, flies in the face of like I much prefer, for example, as like a unifying theory of Donald Trump. Like, if you want to go for something simplistic, go for the that Ta-Nehisi Coates argument. Like, you know, you. Or at, which is basically summarized by uh, Adam Carolla, who was like, um, you elect one half-black president, and then after, like, in return, you get two white guys in one. We just crammed two crazy white guys into one person. Yeah, just, so <laughs> because, because, just because of one... Even it out from having one half-black president. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, that, you know, if you want to give a simple, simplistic explanation of it, that makes more sense. Uh, Russia is very much like a... I don't know. It, it, it's unsatisfying as a... It doesn't do anything to diagnose the actual political malaise, the fact that no one feels represented in this country, and yeah. and there's no there's no positive vision of a life uh, that any real party is uh, putting out. And so Donald Trump is a protest vote, and Russia does not account for that at all. So I, but and so in that sense, I do kind of I do kind of see a parallel between that and birtherism. Um, it, it elides the issue, and I don't like. I it. also I also think so. This is where I think it's really illustrative of what's going on. Where I think the issue is, I think the issue related to Russia, which is not what people are covering, is that it just came out today that Donald J. Trump Jr., one of the guys he was, one of the other guys that was in this meeting that he was in, was a fellow, like, was a Russian kind of oligarch, uh, uh, the real estate developer, or was involved, he, he got into the meeting because of, like, something related to Trump real estate or Trump properties, um... And that's re- – in reality, those are the people who are as dumb as Donald Trump is and all, uh, and all of that. The reality is that the people who are controlling a lot of power in both America and Russia are just essentially people who are owners of capital and owners of real estate. Who I mean even look at Prokhorov, the guy who owns the uh, Brooklyn Nets and who owns a good portion in the Barclays Center and a, a lot of other real estate in Brooklyn. He purposely has real estate in America as, a, as kind of a buffer and a lot of other Russian oligarchs have – have real estate in Western countries, like the guy who owns Chelsea, I think. The, the Abramovich. Yeah, Abramovich. Is that Rom- no, yeah, yeah, it's Roman Abramovich. Yeah. I think. Uh, and he owns he owns that property exclusively, kind of. And same thing goes for people for you know uh, Emirati kings and all that stuff. They own property in the West as a buffer against like power structures back in their own country. So that's what they're using these as shields because they can like okay, we can use Western democracies and Western like capitalist uh, you know real estate. To protect our uh, our assets and our investments from are the oligarchs and court, uh, autocrats that are back at in Russia and vice versa. So I think American enterprise uh, 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 captains of enterprise are doing the same thing abroad as well. So diversifying. Yeah, I think they're diver- they're all diversifying and looking for ways to consolidate. Donald Trump certainly was probably looking to invest in real estate in Russia because he saw the writing on the wall where he's like, hey, like look, he, for as dumb as he is, he was just kind of like, well. Everybody's buying in Russia. There's all these Russian guys coming here. Why don't I go buy something in Moscow or St. Petersburg? Also, he was well. Yeah. I think even beyond that too, he wanted to be the guy who um, 
built a fucking tower in, you know, was the first capitalist to win Moscow. Right, yeah. It, it totally fits in with his ego. You know what's what's funny about this, too, is, like, about that idea that, like, Donald Trump's ego is, like, the main thing that drove him to Russia. Yeah. Um, is that Donald Trump, in a lot of ways, kind of encapsulates a concept that I really, like, find endearing in, in humans, mm-hmm. which is that people are not uniformly motivated by the dollar. Right. Uh, the dollar is one thing, like, that you need to eat and stuff. Right, right. Uh, it, so, it's a necessity, but it, and it's certainly um, it's sort of an Occam's razor. Like you, it, it serves as you can get if you can get down to the level where you can find out who profits monetarily. You can probably be pretty sure that that's a good enough explanation for why something happened. But I really like the fact that it's um, th- that that contrary to what classical uh, economics says and like classical liberalism says is that that's not a pure right. one-to-one people are rational and they're seeking to maximize their profit. Right. People want to maximize whatever their particular thing is. Right. And for Donald Trump, it's ego. Like I, I have no doubt that he would walk away from something if he didn't think it was like uh, satisfying his ego enough. Right. He couldn't have his gold name on the side of the building and he couldn't, exactly. he couldn't get the TV show appearance. And, and also that. he yeah. would conversely even more accurate. And this happens all the time. Rich guy would pay a lot of money to have some sort of ego stroking thing, to have some sort of stature, and so it's yeah. I just thought, always think that's funny that Donald Trump kind of encapsulates the idea that like the goodness of humans, it, like the fact that our motivations are not reducible down to money. I don't think there's that many people in the world who still really believe that. I don't think there's that many like Milton Friedmanites anymore. I think that well, that that rational accurate well, that that the dollars act rationally in, in terms of dollars and cents and yeah, exactly. money. Yeah, yeah. Which is just, yeah. I don't know who thinks. I don't know how you could think. That's I don't know how you can know people and think that. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, even just knowing yourself would know that you're not. I mean, I know I spend my money on irrational. Yeah, bullshit. and also people have <laughs> hobbies and like yeah, people like yeah. to do things. Yeah. Let's uh, let's round this out um, with uh, with this last question, which is which is kind of um, related to this. So there's the idea – when Donald Trump came came into office and when he was preparing to, obviously he has a ton of conflicts of interest. Yeah. Now, he has a ton of conflicts of interest by anyone's standards. Yeah. Um, I mean the fact that like Jared Kushner's sister was like trying to pimp out access you know, to the Trump brand and right, stuff. And, right. and there, there, there are many that would exist. Kellyanne Conway pimping at the Ivanka brand on uh, on TV. Just yeah. Just being a walking – go buy Ivanka. Go – don't – which, by the way, is I don't I'm not like a fashionista, but it's got to be like the tackiest brand. Like her logo looks so fucking uh, tacky. You, I would like you to have this argument with Meg because Meg and all her girlfriends, were, who are not, certainly not Donald Trump or Ivanka Trump fans, uh, were like when that news broke, they're all like, "But we, but we really like her clothes." No, no, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I'm, they're like, all oh, I'm not kidding. I'm not a fashionista either, and I would have thought the same thing. And I'm like, you guys are all monsters. Instantly, but they all said they're like, yeah, actually, her shoes are fantastic or something. Wow, well, yeah. you should buy them then. It's gonna be like a uh, a collector's item. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's that would be my that would be my rational interest in buying these things. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I just have to have like the thing, like the same way I have to have Mets like collectibles. I have to have uh, that kind of stuff. But anyway, the, the, yeah, yeah. Um, the Trump, yeah, uh, all the good stuff comes from Queens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, the question is. You know, I, I remember when, when he was about to become inaugurated and, and someone who was kind of a tacit supporter replied to someone who was fretting about the conflicts of interest and that he's a businessman and he has this global reach and, you know, what, you know, is a Trump, if a Trump hotel in Mumbai gets bombed, is that an attack on America now? Because, yeah. you know, these are all good questions. Yeah, but someone, interesting. Yeah. someone said, um, someone in support said, 
do we really want to make it so that there's no successful businessman that can become president? In other words, do you want it to be so that if you're president, you basically can't have global holdings that are recognized as yours? And I was like, you know, that's a good point. Actually, no, that's a bad point. Fuck that. Yeah, you should not be able to. Yeah. Like, if no. you want to become the – and so that's the question. Like, do you think that, like, being president, that we should have some sort of law? Uh, clearly, convention is not good enough because every convention is being blown through now. Right. Um, but that says that if you become president, you – no, that's it. Like, that, you have attained the top of a society. You have to sell uh, everything off, like, Jimmy Carter's peanut farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and you can't even profit off of Billy Beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to go in some trust, and 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 if not only for a moral reason, which I'm totally happy making it like no, the goal of acquisition is to rise higher in society. We all acknowledge that. And by the time you're president, you control enough that you no longer needs to need to you know you you don't you, needs it. You don't needs it. We don't feel sorry for you. But also in terms of logistically, like it really is, you know, just for like ethicists and and uh, for like the ethical lawyers, and you know, like if I don't know, it, it's a it's a handful to, to manage. Yeah, I agree. I think you should. I agree. It should you just be put stuff into a blind trust, uh, and it's the I, I think, think sell it. I would just say sell it or off. sell it or sell it off. Yeah. Well, and then put all that money into what I don't know, treasury bills or whatever it is. Put, maybe put the money into into something that. Yeah, just give it to the treasurer. Yeah, um, um, something that something that aligns with the country's interests at least. But like, it's well, something because, you can't control. because when you're becoming president, a it's a it's a it, you, it's a pub, position of public service. So if you really wanted to be a if you were a influential, and I think this is partially why uh, Michael Bloomberg didn't run either, is because I think he just thought he's like, well, I can just be like kind of this billionaire in my Upper East Side. Batman style ma- mansion and, and do have more influence and impact in that capacity for via my philanthropies or whatever than I can actually as like essentially a government administrator. Um, he he saw that opportunity as mayor of New York where he didn't forfeit his assets and he he served you know people will debate about the 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 benefits of the Bloomberg administration and the uh, and there are certainly many of its detractors, but. At the same time, he had an idea. He was kind of in a circumstance of somebody who had an idea of public service and being a public servant first, I suppose, even though he didn't forfeit his I assets. don't know. I would, I would not. All right, maybe not. I would not, uh, not benefit him with that much But anyway, so my point is, so, but I think, so at that stage, and to your point about do, should we just make it so that a, any successful, really successful businessman man can't run for president – uh, yes, because I think the really, truly successful presidents of the future will be these technocratic, kind of boring people. Like, we just need to have a sideshow. We need a Donald J. Trump sideshow that, like, everyone thinks is running the country. And then we need just a person who's just like, okay, going to, like, actually come up with a comprehensive... So you want to have a, a, a figurehead and a head of state? Yeah, I want a head, head of state head and of head of government. And the head of government should just be a boring, like, bureaucratic guy who understands how the machine of, of politics works and just and can can kind of efficiently... Clean the pipes and be like, and use government dollars as effectively as possible to to. <laughs> AKA the executive. It's kind of funny that uh, the entire American system is predicated on 
the belief that we would be smart enough to select and uh, and assess that the candidates for that position ourselves were not. Well, it was, yeah, but it was, but it was originally because it was just gentry, white property owning men, you know. So that was kind of designed with that intention. And I'm not saying that's right, and I'm not saying that's what we I'm should go back to. Right. <laughs> was that what we're Only saying? We white landed people. Yeah, we should go back to. But it is certainly that, like, they didn't. They re, this is the reason why John John Adams certainly wrote about this, where he was just like, I don't think we can kind of hand the keys over to the rabble. And uh, Franklin, yeah, yeah, and so we have to kind of think about it. It has to be people that meet certain qualifications that participate in this representative uh, Democratic Republic, um, and so that so it has evolved to the stage where we all more or less have have a, a somewhat vote, and the way that it, it works is this kind of public circus that takes place on. Cable news channels. <laughs> um, and Donald Trump hacked it. And Donald Trump hacked it and just, had, just tapped into it. I mean, you could say that Ronald Reagan hacked it. You could say John F. Kennedy hacked it in some well, way. They had a machine behind them. I mean, yeah, they both had machines. They had machines behind them, them, certainly. And But I think Ronald Reagan is certainly a great example of, well, people would have been, you know. He was also he, an executive he was, of the state. He, he, was, he was a governor of California, but he was an actor first. And I think he, like, was. And he was. Yeah, and he, he had run a state before. He had run a state, yes. He, I mean, he, didn't, he didn't just hack it like a reality show. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, so I think. But I think that at this point, it is realistic to ask somebody if you're going to be in charge of the weapons that can annihilate everything on the face of the planet Earth, then you have to give up your gold tower. Then, yeah. You know, and you know what? You'll probably st- look. You're not going to live a terrible life. You're yeah, gonna, you you, keep your money. You, yeah. You'll you'll be fine. Like I mean, you'll live a terrible life. I mean, I'm sure Donald Trump's life now is pretty terrible. Oh God, his life sucks. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the. We, we, we've talked about this before. Is there any president who has had a bigger drop in quality of life from pre-election to post-inauguration than Donald Trump? No. He went from, like, banging 19-year-old, we hope, yeah. hookers in <laughs> we you know, only hope, yeah. Bunga Bunga with uh, Gaddafi. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now he's just to eating everyone's shit constantly. Just just in co- ways. Co- Forgetting why he's walking into rooms because he's getting demented. Yeah, he's already. Uh, dementia is reaching its final stage, which his father also suffered from. Yeah, right? that man's... By the way, uh, just letting this on an upbeat note, it's kind of funny that John McCain it probably had a stroke, like a massive, <laughs> like a massive stroke. That they're like, babe, they're, we removed a blood clot from above his eye, and I was like, that's where his brain is. <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> uh, it's about an inch above, and also four inches behind his left eye. <laughs> I love how the medical professionals even have to be like politically. Savvy to say it's like yeah we removed the massive blood clot from a sort of wasn't head like two region. centimeters long or something like that yeah, like so it was got me in his brain somewhere this guy really had his hat probably having a stroke right now he's probably gonna die in the next couple of weeks yeah which is what everyone was afraid of in two thousand eight and then we'd have Sarah Palin as president so, yeah and it turns out he would have made it I mean at least based on you know I'm sure he would have been more stressed I'm just hoping Ginsburg man I'm pissed off at Ginsburg yeah she should have given up her seat. This yeah. is the same problem with Pelosi and, and Joe Pod. These old people fossilize in their positions. They can't imagine a different life. And now Ruth Ginsburg has to be alive. What if Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes to coach Penn State, though? In her retirement. Ginsburg. They build a statue there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I don't know. I think it's it's fair to ask somebody who's going to be president. Hell yeah, fuck him. Fuck him. Look at President Obama is doing fine for himself. Uh, of course, it, and you can. Mon- I mean, yeah. that's actually a cynical reasoning that you can yeah. monetize the office so easily after. But anyway, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, all right, well, so here, let's try to cap it off the you know, sub an hour this time. We're, we're getting better at this. We're going to keep and, it within the one hour to one hour, ten minutes habitable zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, Gil- the Goldilocks. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's let's sign off. I'm Lenny DeFranco. And I'm Brian Pisano. And we are the Pizza Boys. Pizza Boys! <laughs>